Nelson Mandela had so much compassion for his brothers and sisters. People don't realize it's about the Beatles, but they knew they were brilliant. One story in every human being that defines who you are. Do we film on a volcano that's just about to explode? But the reason this mail pack has been astoundingly successful is because there are pictures of rabbits on the envelope. I mean, I think there's something about chaos, right? It either, either you run from it or you run towards it. And for me, there was really this in instance of wanting to run towards it. Welcome to Great Minds and our guest, uh, who is now live in Switzerland with us, uh, is a legendary blues man, Kirk Fletcher. Welcome, Kirk. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. And uh, Kirk is uh, an incredible electric blues guitar player. He's played with everybody. You got a new song coming out in September, No Place to Go, which I listened to this morning, which is fantastic. And uh, Kirk, I'd like to start going back to days long gone by. Mm -hmm. And I think it was you and your brother, Walter, used to go to your dad's church to listen yeah. to and to play music. And I'd love to talk about your remembrances of music in the church because that's so seminal and such an influence over music and pop culture in general. Well, you know, this this whole thing was something that obviously I had no control over and it just happened to be the perfect thing for me. You know, my father being a pastor of a church having our own church, you know, basically, and my older brother playing before I came along, you know, was just the perfect breeding ground for me to do what I do now, you know. And, it, and just having that foundation in my family being from the South, Pine Bluff, Arkansas, you know, all kind of played a hand. I grew up in Los Angeles, California, but they raised me like they were raised, you know, country. And you can't take the country out of a person right, <laughs> from no. Arkansas. Right. You know, the meals, the talking about, we'd visit Arkansas every year for the summer, you know, so summer holidays and all of these things really played a part in it. And I guess I was just always drawn to really, really soulful things, really the really gutsy kind of stuff ever since I was a little kid. I've actually seen videos of myself playing in church and it's like I'm in this like trance-like thing, you know, playing and really just getting inside the soul of the music. So, you know, having that that background and having that thing where you come to music in a in a way where it's everybody in it together and i know at some point you meet al blake and yeah. end up in the hollywood fats band but before we talk about that give me a little more kirk on sort of that relationship between music in the church and secular music and i'm reading a, a great book now about sam cook and you know, oh, the, the journey from yeah. being a soulster to singing second for a lot of, especially kids whose parents or, you know, dad was a preacher, that can mm -hmm. be a very difficult transition from singing in the church 
and and to singing music, you know, pop music. Well, it's it's very interesting you brought that up. Of course, I love Sam Cooke, and he was like in the community, you know, in the Los Angeles community, he was very, you know, respected. Even when I came along, you know, later, I mean, he was still amongst the singers and amongst the people in that you know, where I was, he was very respected. And when I came along, it was still like that. You know, you didn't play blues and then you didn't play uh, gospel. Those two didn't go together. So I very much understand that very, very, very well. You know, it was like you were really looked down upon if you played in the clubs and you played gospel music. Things eventually lightened up and people, I guess they just, their minds opened up a little bit and realized that, you know, this music is beautiful and, you know, we like smooth jazz, you know, some people, the church people, you know, and it just seemed like it just kind of opened up, but it seems like right there, I was kind of like that transition time. It seemed from my perspective that, it was like this real no-no. You don't do both. You know, you can't serve two masters. You know, you either got to right. go with the devil or you got to go with the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I really felt that growing up, you know. Yeah, there's great stories about even Tina Turner having to go yeah. to her father, Reverend C.L. Franklin, to ask for permission to, you know, perform outside the gospel circle. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, Amazing. Especially back then. Yeah. Amazing. So tell us about the Hollywood Fats Band. And, oh, and, man, where did I start? And, <laughs> and, you know, some of those great West Coast blues acts that you work with, like Junior Watson and Linwood Slim, and some of those incredible blues legends from L.A. <laughs> was like to understand that music and to really dedicate myself to that I had to have a certain ability already on the instrument and things like that so by the time I met Al Blake when I was in my early 20s it was just amazing because I wanted to get towards playing more straight ahead blues and Al Blake was the perfect person to teach me about my own personal history you know of you know like country blues and city blues and Chicago blues and, and all of these different wonderful artists like Tommy Johnson, Petey Wheatstraw, you know, and the list goes on and on. Charlie Patton and Robert Johnson, as well as take it all the way through until the 60s and things like that. So it was really like my blues education. And everybody in the Fats Band kind of embraced me and really helped me, you know, develop and learn a lot from them about how to play with bands, how to really study the history of blues and play in these certain styles and really learn about what was the thing that made these styles unique. You know, and, so I owe so much to Al Blake. And you have a great run there. Eventually, I know you hook up with the fabulous Thunderbirds, but mm -hmm. you just touched on something, you know, there's Chicago blues and there's the old, you know, the Robert Johnson sound and I just saw a great documentary on Stevie Ray Vaughan and mm -hmm. talking about how he revitalized Texas blues. I guess it was yeah. sort of Johnny Winter behind him, but then you go mm -hmm. back to, you know, legends long lost in history like Lightning Hopkins. Mm 
Yeah. Who were some of the early blues artists that really influenced you and, and what part of the country did they come from? Well, it was sort of living and being on the West Coast. You know, a lot of actually Texas guys moved to the West Coast. So, you know, I really had a good opportunity to hear a lot of different blues from a lot of different places. Like I heard B.B. King, you know, the Mississippi thing, but, you know, becoming a little more urban blues, T-Bone Walker, you know, from Texas, Johnny Guitar Watson from Texas, and then moving to L.A. You know, it was the really, the real thing that got me was like B.B. King, Johnny Guitar Watson, Bobby Bland, you know, Howlin' Wolf, Early, I listened to Holland Wolf really early because there was a public radio station, so they played a lot of, you know, blues on the on the weekends, you know. So yeah, I would say those guys were the main early guys. There used to be an event in New York years ago. I went to, when I was a teenager, so this was forty some odd years ago. Benson and Hedges used to sponsor. Oh a big yeah, I heard about that blues festival. Yeah, and, and we had there was. We had they brought the Showdown album live, so it was Albert Collins, Johnny Co- Johnny Copeland, and Robert Cray all together. Yeah, I have the record right there. <laughs> yeah. And I, there was some and when that album starts with T Bone Shuffle. That, yeah, that is magic. Yeah, absolutely, absolute magic. Absolutely. And and your first record goes back now just over twenty years ago. I'm here and I'm gone. Yeah. Did you think then, when you laid that down in 99, that 20 years later, you'd still be putting out more? Well, I was, I'd done that record really to just get gigs. And I really was young and just captivated by this traditional blues and the things that I had learned from Junior Watson, Al Blake, Linwood, Slim, and the list goes on and the people I was playing with at that time. So I just wanted to try and give this to club owners to get work. (laughs) Well, it sure worked. And you end up playing with some incredible names, with Charlie Musselwhite and I think Pine Top and Hubert. Yeah. Talk about some of those legends that are, again, disappearing from history. Well, you know, a lot of guys, I owe a lot of the older uh, musicians that play with Muddy, I owe that um, to Kim Wilson. Because Kim Wilson sort of, you know, they all knew Kim, you know, and knew him from Texas and Antones. And, and, and some people knew him from when he still lived in California. And... I think the first thing that I ever done, you know, was in like, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s or something. I played Antone's Anniversary. Kim Wilson had me come out and play Antone's Anniversary because I really wanted to do it. You know, and I knew that a lot of my heroes would be there playing. So Clifford Antone picked me up from the airport. That freaked me out. You know, the club owner Antone's. And um, I think the first night I watched everything. And then the second night they called me up to play with Pine Top Perkins. Ted Harvey was on drums. Um, Yeah. 
That was my friend, Eddie Taylor. He taught me so much, taught us all so much about music. There's no way to ever thank Eddie besides to dedicate all this to Eddie Taylor. We'd like to thank everybody for being here tonight. Jimmy Rogers. So that was the real start for me playing with those guys. And then Pine Top, me and Rusty Zen. Rusty Zen was so great, too. He had me, uh, we backed up Pine Top Perkins. So I had, like, Rusty Zen and Billy Flynn and guys like that really made sure that I was able to sit in with some of these guys. I played with Hubert a few times. I played a few gigs with James Cotton, you know, and this is like just that lineage and even Philip Walker and different people like that. Just getting to play with those guys. It's a different it's a different thing when you get a chance to play with those guys. And you uh, end up with the fabulous Thunderbirds. Yeah, I play with um, Ken Wilson in this solo blues band, which I really you know, that really hold that close to my heart. Then I went and played with Charlie Musselwhite. And then after Charlie, I joined the Fabulous Thunderbirds. And that was really cool. It was like a more of a band type atmosphere, you know. So it was really cool. You know, he kind of, you know, I got to create some. And we've done a record together, painted on. And that was just a really cool experience. Plus, my little brother, Nick Kern, was in that band, too, you know, who... I miss every day. He's no longer with us, but mm. Nick Kern was amazing. You mm. know, just all around amazing guy. <laughs> and you've been living in Switzerland for three years. You've done a lot of touring. I know you work with Joe Bonamassa mm -hmm. also. And talk about Kirk. It seems like a lot of the music, American music in particular, the roots music, is appreciated more abroad than it is at home. Well, you know, I've been asked this question actually a lot. And for me personally, I really, really um, love my blues fans in America, too, you know, in the States. I mean, they're really, really cool, too, you know. And actually, my my fan base, looking at the statistics, I can't even talk, <laughs> looking at all of that, it's still quite a lot of fans, mostly in the States, really. Still, you know, so I mean, for me, it's been nothing but real love, you know, and 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 it's been really great. Um, but Europe is great in a whole different way. It's more like when you go play an uh, a show in in Europe, it's more like an event. They come there, they pay their money to see you play, you and you only. You know, it's not any TVs on. <laughs> it's not like the you know, football game on while you're trying to play or any of that. They come and they're totally into what you're doing, you know. So that's a whole different thing, too, you know. But then you got the common ground with the U.S. too, you know, and the America, you know. So it's it's both. It's both cool. I think one needs the other. <laughs> no, I, 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 agree, I agree with you. And yeah. And you've also played in some of the great rooms in the world. I always think I'm a student of theaters and love to, you know, look at all the architectural detail of an old theater. 
Yeah. I know you did a great album live at the Greek Theater in 2016. Yeah. But what are some of the magic rooms that come to mind that you've played or some of the real, you know, gritty places that were just great rooms to play? Well, where I really got my start was two clubs, um, the Cafe Boogaloo in Hermosa Beach, California, like literally right across the street from the famous Lighthouse uh, Jazz Club. And also uh, the Blue Cafe in Long Beach, California. Those two places on a Saturday night, Friday, Saturday night, it's, it's, it was just amazing. You know, jam-packed with blues lovers, you know, and either being the main act or being in the house band before the main act goes on, you know, the matinee kind of show or whatever you call it, happy hour show. That 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 was just amazing. And that's really where I really cut my teeth on learning how to play for a crowd. And um, I would say those two places and then a place, uh, the borderline in the UK, that was a whole different experience because now it's OK. That's where I started out as Kirk Fletcher, more the artist kind of, you know, and I done my first tour, real full fledged 21 day tour in the UK first. Ah, so glad to be at the borderline tonight. So that was, the borderline was like, I had a run for about three or four years where people would come back every year. And it, it's just a magical type place. And I would say on a more grander scale, um, two places, you know, with Joe Bonamassa playing the Greek, because I had saw shows at the Greek, you know, being from L.A. <laughs> and uh, Red Rocks. Red Rock was like, wow, you know, and to hear, to play some blues, you know, at those two venues was really amazing, you know. And talk about what your life is like now. You know, most businesses and artists, all of us have been affected by this. Some are able, the popular word is pivot and, you know, do something else. But, you know, for someone who's used to working and being on the road, you're grounded. Yeah. So talk about your experience there and how tough that is. Well, you know, I would say that when I first went into this, I had a lot of big plans, <laughs> you know, before it all happened. I mean, literally on the calendar, getting ready to do them in a month's time. You know, I had some shows that were going to be amazing and just seeing people and hanging with certain people and, Everything like this. I was supposed to go and hang out with my good friend, Charlie Musselwhite. We were going to meet in Mississippi and hang out for a week or so. And it would have been amazing. And then just other shows and things. So that, after I got over that initial shock, and that took months to get over that. You know, I was just in the funk and just eating a lot of pizza. <laughs> you know, and it was 
it was really rough because I, you know, I'm like, man, I'm finally starting to get a little steam going because it's been already a slow process for me to really get grounded in doing Kirk Fletcher, the solo artist, putting out records, going on the road, booking agents, doing all that stuff. It's been really a slow process for years. So when I started to get steam, so that was kind of the thing that was eating away at me for months. And then after a while, like I've always been, because I'm a blues player, musician, lived from L.A., you know, one of the toughest places, especially when I kind of came on the scene. Okay, what can I do? Okay, I have to accept this and I have to move on in some kind of way because I'm, I have to fight. I've I'm, for a long time been a fighter when it comes to all of this stuff, you know, and I try and learn from my mistakes. So I go, hey, the younger people are putting out all kind of content on YouTube, social media, Instagram, TikTok, all of this stuff, you know. And my social media presence is not too shabby, but my YouTube channel wasn't that good, you know, because I didn't put any effort in it. I'd be playing or writing songs and stuff. So I didn't see myself write, playing songs and just posting and all of this stuff on YouTube. I'm just not that kind of person, you know, and it just seemed so weird to me to just always put content up. How good could it be if you're putting up new stuff every day? So I said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell everybody about my story, about the things that I love about music, records that I love, guitar approaches, all different kinds of stuff like that. So every day for five, 10 minutes, I can just talk a little bit about me and my approach to guitar and my philosophy on music. And to me, playing music, listening to music is almost as rewarding for me as playing it. I know that might be weird for a lot of people, but I can literally spin records all day. You know, I just, I'm so, I'm I'm as much of a fan as I am an artist. So for me to just have, you know, do private lessons to make enough money to pay the bills and to buy records, you know, through the mail was fantastic. And then I can talk a little bit on YouTube and post every day about my story and tell my story and still kind of, I still kind of get that. Thing like when I'm playing live because I'm talking and I'm telling people about maybe people they've never heard. And this is what I really signed on to do from the beginning to inspire people like all of my heroes done for me. Right. You know, so this right. is the thing that's really grounded me. You know, this is the thing that got me through these times, which are so uncertain and weird. Yeah, so down on the canvas, but you pick yourself up and you figure out a way forward. Pretty much. Do you, have, do you have a guitar nearby where you're sitting now? Yeah, certainly, of course. So <laughs> gra grab it. And, yeah. and I'd love, you know, there's so many different sounds of the blues. Yeah. And, and I'm not the aficionado you are, but I, I love the blues. And I have some great memories in Chicago in particular, going to places, you know, like Kingston Mines and Roses. Yeah. And seeing acts like Sun Seals. And, um, yeah. I did get to see the uh, acoustic reunion of Buddy Guy and Junior Wells at Buddy Guy's place. Yeah. Take, take us through sort of that continuum of the, you know, the early sound when you go back to, you know, 
Lightning Hopkins and, and Robert Johnson and that sound and sort of take us on a journey how the sound has evolved. Sure. Well, <clears throat> you got some a riff like this that's really associated with uh, country blues, you know. Lightning Hopkins from Texas, and you got more of this. You know, that kind of thing, you know, or, you know, or you got, you know, like, uh, say, T-Bone Walker, more right. of that stuff. B.B. King style, you know, he went through many different times, you know, different periods in his style, you know, and he was heavily influenced by T-Bone Walker. And, you know, earlier stuff you would hear like. Sounds almost like, uh, almost like Elmore James. Yeah, kind of like that. You know, that's a really classic thing. And then he evolved into playing more, you know. You know, that kind of thing. So, you know, that's sort of some of the different things, you know. And then it went into, you know, playing more, you know, like R&B type stuff, you know, a lot of minor. And me, Kirk Fletcher, I'm sort of like a combination of all of those things, you know. And I tried to have, get my own style, you know. And and when you look back and as you created the Kirk Fletcher sound, you know, what were we putting into that soup pot? You know, who were some of the, the great legends that you drew inspiration from? Well, you got gospel music, you know, playing stuff like... that style you know you know like or like you know and then I was listening to stuff like you know Prince you know kind of listening at that kind of rhythm stuff too as well as listening at you know like all of the great soloists you know like I take a lot from B.B. King, you know, so like you got like, um, and then you got guys like Chris Kane, you know, who kind of supercharged that style a little bit, you know, you know, so I kind of took from those guys. And then I also took from like Robin Ford and Larry Carlton and kind of more of this lyrical 
kind of thing, you know, kind of a little bit smoother. You know, and more of my style is like playing. You know, kind of a mixture right. of all of those things, you know, as well as playing, you know, like, you know, strong rhythm ideas, you know, like. You know, that kind of thing. And I really just always try and accompany with a certain level of authority, you know, and things like that, you know. So that's that's basically it. <laughs> and, and you also surround yourself with great players. I love your uh, live album from 2014, live at the Baked Potato Burning Blues. I mean, that is yeah. a great band you got there. Oh, thank you so much. Travis yeah. Carlton and... Um, Lamar Carter and Calvin Turner and Jeff Babco. I mean, those guys are on fire. <laughs> Fantastic. And, and Kirk, there was a moment, I remember when Robert Cray emerged as a young artist with Strong Persuader. Yeah. There was a moment where blues was back on the radio. Yeah. And it looked like something was going to happen. Yeah. And, and it kind of stayed flat. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, there are keepers of the flame and you're sort of a bridge between the old and the new. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, we're losing them. Buddy Guy is kind of the last one standing. Yeah. You know, do you, do you, are you hopeful about the future of the blues? Well, you know, it's. You know, we say like Robert Cray and he was on the radio and things like that. But, you know, I have to say like Robert Cray was amazing. You know, I mean, it's like somebody like that, you know, it's like he sings like a bird and he plays amazing guitar and the combination of a killer song and having the opportunity to sign with a bigger record company and having all these opportunities, I feel that there was more of a chance maybe in the eighties, you know, I mean, like there's definitely players now that can sing great and play great and everything like that. But the combination of those two things and the right song and people willing to take a chance on blues too. I mean, are people really willing to take a chance, you know, now you find that, everything from promotion to everything, you know, people want to put you in this like little box. Oh, it's blue. So it could never be on mainstream radio or it's blue. So it could never do the same thing, you know? So, you know, that's the great thing about like Joe Bonamassa. He kind of created his own pathway, you know, in a way when you got a person like um, Robert Cray, I mean, that's like, how many Robert Crays are there? Yeah, no, that's <laughs> it true. incredible. That's true. I'll tell you, though, my favorite, and we talked about it a little earlier on the Showdown album, I thought as a live performer, Albert Collins was the best live performer in any genre of music I've ever seen. Well, that was my first concert I ever saw. You know, so that that was where the bar, that was where the standard was, Albert Collins, you know, and he...
He was not even the last person to go on. There were a couple of acts after Albert Collins, and the crowd was done. I mean, I, Albert Collins came on the stage, and it was done. They just screamed after he got off the stage. He just killed it. Yeah. It was electric. It was amazing. amazing. And my life will never be the same. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. Well, Kirk, yes. this was such a pleasure talking to you. Hey, my pleasure. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. And for more content just like this, visit AdvertisingWeek360.com. Production on this episode was by Jack Hirschman and Brendan Porter. And original music was by Ian Levy.